It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. And uh, just uh, really excited to be back to the show. We've uh, had a few weeks off. I've been traveling and speaking uh, lots of different places, Amsterdam, Brussels, uh, and now uh, Chicago, and now I'm in New York, where uh, I'm really excited to share. Tomorrow I'll be on the BBC World uh, Talking Business Show, so you can catch me if uh, you haven't listened to this live. So, um, And all this really comes from uh, talking about culture, talking about engagement, talking about what makes our talent, you know, talented people work, and what are talented people doing and learning the lessons from them. So that's what this show is all about, is really having that conversation, and a lot of those past conversations of kind of culminated into my first book, uh, bestseller, The Power of Company Culture, which you can check out on Amazon or Bowl or wherever you buy your books. We'd love to have you check that out. Um, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Most of you uh, catch us on the podcast, on iTunes, listen to us on High Art Radio, or maybe go to talenttalkradio.com. But wherever you find us, uh, wherever you get our podcast, we really appreciate you tuning in and listening. Uh, we do also really enjoy the interaction on Twitter. So if you are a person who does Twitter, we'd love for you to get on there. Uh, find the at PeopleG2 or find the hashtag Talent Talk. You can kind of see all the live feed that happens that uh, my producer Mike uh, does during the show. And we kind of post the best little tidbits, the best one-liners there. We'd love to have you comment and give us your thoughts and keep the conversation going. Even add in your own advice and, and suggestions on maybe whatever we talked about today. So uh, speaking of today, let's get to uh, talk about who my guests are. Uh, my first guest will be uh, Kathleen Delano, CEO of PMIC Inc. We'll find out what they do in a moment. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in Chris Chauncey, the founder and CEO of Amplio Recruiting. Um, but let's uh, go ahead and bring in uh, Kathleen. Uh, Kathleen, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, Chris? I'm delighted to be here, and uh, hello to your listeners. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm doing great, and I'm, de I'm delighted that you're here as well. And uh, maybe a good place for us to start is tell us a little bit about you, and of course, you know, help us understand what PMIC Incorporated does as well. Well, that's a, you know, it's a great question because it starts out in a very unlikely way, which was 25 years ago, I went to NYU intending to be a journalist, um, philosopher, save the world, write the uh, great American novel um, type, and I joined a punk rock band, and uh, I happened to be at CBGB's watching one of the Ramon brothers doing drugs, and I said, you know what? That would kill me. 
So I answered an ad in the Wall Street Journal, and I got a job working with the guys who, when I was in college, I wouldn't date because I was an artsy, thought I was just an artsy type. So my career came about in a very kind of random way. But it took years to understand that that was actually um, a really beneficial thing for someone with, you know, my my outlook on life. I love, you know, the reason for having this show, which is knowledge sharing and bringing people up and candor and authenticity. And so I've, I've been, but I've learned over the years how, the very largest firms in business in Wall Street and law firms um, actually conduct major transactions. And purely by accident, I, I started a business, and that was not by accident. I, uh, I had a provisional patent on illegal procurement IT, and my mother is Irish, and she's made of steel, and I was going up to visit her, and she got mad at me for uh, giving away free advice, and she said, "Ah, sure, you know, you can't you can't give away all this advice for free." So I started PMIC five years ago, thinking I would be doing legal procurement, and a chance encounter with the chief scientist of Army Research Lab, which is the national foundational lab for our United States Army, told me about what I thought was a mundane problem that led to a uh, commissioned uh, study from NIST, Army Research Lab, and uh, an Air Force that that led to a a rule, an OMB policy, being overturned. And so I fell through the looking glass. And so what PMIC does now is primarily work with, I work with uh, literally hundreds of consultants, working with with different scientists to help uh, translate the value and the public awareness about the very important undergirding that investment in U.S. basic research and in our scientific labs has given to the United States economy, to, you know, employment and, you know, all of the other things that we've taken for granted as a national global um, superpower. So that's, yeah, and that's, that's my mission. I mean, there's been <laughs> so many things that... Uh, you know, have come out of that public funding, out of that research, out of all that important work that, to your point, right, we've just taken for granted that uh, these things happen. Uh, The Internet might be one of those great examples. Uh, I'm sure there's many more. Imagine if China had, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just to, I mean, you hit on one of the best counterfactuals. You know, when we think about the Internet, you know, when we think about what the U.S. government, you know, taxpayers expect, government labs to give back their IP, and government labs do. And so if the United States hadn't invented the Internet and GPS and lasers and microwaves, I really doubt that we would have a, if China had invented those things, would there be a Silicon Valley? And those are the kinds of questions that, you know, I think policymakers, I think employers, I think that people in Silicon Valley and, and, you know, within the Beltway um, are starting to think about, and it's, it makes sense for us to really, you know, be, you know, collaboratively thinking about, gee, our, our unified good comes from having these conversations about what's in our best interest as a United States company. Right. Well, I know, uh, you know, having been a national director, you have a lot of experience over your career managing geographically diverse teams and people with many different skill sets. And it sounds like you're, you know, kind of at uh, – 
with a lot of smart people doing a lot of different things, which can be probably fun, but also a challenge. So maybe you could talk about what are well, some of those the big herding challenges. Well, yeah. it, you know, there's you're, yeah, the, I didn't even think about that part, but there's the herding cat part of, of right. what I do, which is really um, dealing with subject matter experts of various types so that, um, you know, typically it's difficult to, to to find the exact um, piece of their work that resonates with the observer, but um, the, the dealing with diverse teams um, in my career, what I've done is is basically been a, as a national director in professional services firms. So my groups of people who were geographically dispersed were also part of a group that reported to me, but our internal clients were the partners of the firm, the, the partners who went out and actually did the auditing and the accounting and the, you know, the type of work that was done. So we were responsible. We were kind of the hunters. They were the actual doers of the work. So making sure that you know, people who have that kind of role in a professional services firm often feel like fish out of water. So when you have a geographically diverse team, you also have a culturally diverse team. You have just the simple impact of location. You have um, the variance in skills, the variance in, and so you have the challenges that come up with a matrix system. So it takes an intentional decision to overcome what are likely to be challenges. And it also takes, I, I think, a leadership stance that assumes that the people who are on your team are intelligent. Uh, assume that they have good intent and also, you know, particularly in firms where the service that the employees are offering are considered, say, overhead, where you're not billing your time to a client, but you are actually helping those who do bill their time build a book of business, um, learning how to, you know, effectively transfer knowledge so that, for example, um, one of the ways I would overcome it would be uh, creating kind of a matrix where people would be responsible for their geography, but we would also, you, you know, you can't be a jack of all trades. So someone who might be particularly strong in media, someone else might be particularly strong in graphics. You know, obviously we would all love to have a team of hundreds of people who are, you know, expert in every single thing we would want, but that's really never going to happen. So trying to engender skill sharing so that if there were, say, a media event, in North Carolina, uh, the North Carolina person would lead it, but with the assistance of the national media leader who would go to North Carolina. So I think it's, it, it's in, and, and another, another way to get past that is, especially now, when I first started um, my career, if you worked at a place less than five years, um, they assumed you were fired. Today, people go from career to career, so that's why I think it's even more meaningful to treat your employees or even, you know, now we have a gig economy. So a lot of the people I work with are consultants on a particular project, but treat them like adults, you know, work collaboratively to find a schedule and um, articulate, you know, what it is that everybody's contributing, have your periodic calls, but not just calls for the sake of the calls, but it does require an intentional communication. And that really has to come, I think, from leadership. So if I'm not encouraging my teams also to have calls without me, 
so that they can speak candidly and bring things to me candidly. Because I think a two-way collaboration, I've learned as much from interns as I've learned from, you know, people with, um, you know, 30 years more experience. So I think having an open mind and, and being a constant learner as a leader is, is vital. But, you know, you have to balance that with, you know, assigning the tasks um, assigning the teams, assigning, uh, you know, buddy assignments. Um, if there is an issue, you know, look at what the challenges are. There are challenges among groups. There are challenges among leaders. So you might have a member of your team who's not geographically connected to you who's being pulled in a different direction by perhaps senior leadership of that particular office. How can you come to the aid of your non-local employee? Um, you know, non-local team member. So it really, I think it's 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 just a it, it requires perhaps more um, proactive um, and and trust. You know, I think knowing that the team can come to you and that you know when they have issues, either you know with each other, you know, work it out, but understand who the internal client is. So it's kind of like you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but you know what happens in your department stays in your department. And you always deliver excellent client service to your, whether it's an internal or external client. And to me, that's been the really the, the golden key to success, that everybody, you know, even uh, no matter who it is, um, the highest and best use of your time really is so context dependent. So if a client is expecting a document, tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, the highest and best use of the CEO's time and the receptionist's time and the janitor's time and everybody's time is to staple those documents. But in the ideal scenario, what you want to do is help people identify their skills, both what they're good at and what they want to do, and have them um, spending as much of their time um, doing those things as possible. That's a, that's a really important element of success, particularly... Sure. In a, in a very large professional services firm. Right, right. Environment. Well, you mentioned, uh, I think, early on there in your response, kind of some, some things about mergers. I know a lot of that's come up again, uh, a lot in the news. There's a lot of things happening and consolidations and, and mergers inside oh, of yeah. some different industries. Um, you know, I think for people working inside of a company, there can be quite a bit of fear about the maybe job loss or other particular things, uh, certainly for those uh, companies that are involved in the mergers, will this be a successful merger? Will they be financially stable? As you look at mergers today, what are really some of the things that are the reality, right? What are, what, what are you seeing today that's actually happening, um, good and bad, maybe? Well, okay, so today, I mean, take, you know, the, the two mergers that I, that I lived through, which were quite some time ago. Um, uh, you know, very generally speaking, um, you could say that one, you know, in one instance, um, there was a lot of redundancy elimination, whereas the other uh, was a little bit more of expansion of capabilities. And so I think it really depends. Um, but, you know, since 2008, there's been $10 trillion in mergers and and two-thirds of all corporate sectors have become more concentrated, which is, you know, it seems alarming, but at the same time, more than 2 million jobs were created. So, you know, I look at the, the, the merger and acquisition issue as um, very context-driven. 
are you you know what industry is the is the merger and acquisition happening is it and um you know for what purpose you know to what end is it happening it's my own personal opinion that our antitrust laws have basically not been enforced very well and that um you know at the same time there are certain companies that you know, it simply just does make sense to have only one or two. So so having that discernment, but we've become, particularly when it comes to, say, large um, government contractors or integrators who are dealing with the federal government and spending, you know, billions of dollars of money, it becomes kind of an acquisition cycle that's a little bit opaque to a lot of business people. Um, and I think having a little bit more conversation among private sector employers about their best practices would, would benefit the entire um, nation because we're, we're not seeing a, a trickle-down effect from, um, from corporate tax reductions. Sure, sure, and that's, that, that's been pretty clear. Well, I know, you know, you, you talked a, a little bit, too, about uh, it currently that you're, really your focus is trying to help these kind of diverse stakeholders and cohorts understand you know, why they should care about really the intellectual capital of what's happening uh, with the investments being made. Uh, are, are there particular um, maybe things that you're focused on that are maybe exciting or that haven't maybe haven't hit the news? Are there particular, you know, discoveries or focuses yes. uh, that you're really thinking yes. about right now? This is my mission and my life. I now know why a punk rock hippie Save the World chick spent 20 years learning corporate governance and how to follow the money and how to do large deals because scientists, the people who are at the very tip, if you think about intellectual capital, you know, obviously there are brilliant people who are CPAs, who are financiers, who are lawyers. Um, but when you get to the hard scientists, you know, when you get to quantum physics, when you get to things that frankly I can't pronounce, but you know, the, these are the types of things that have historically undergirded our economy, but um, seeing the pendulum swing a little bit to where there's a little bit more understanding that, oh, gee, if we didn't invest in the basic research, the accidental discovery um, might not happen. And if we don't compete with other countries, say, for example, China, synthetic biology, um, synthetic biology is very, very hot, and most people don't think about it. And if they do think about it, it's like it seems like it's hostile, but it's not. It's a, it's something that the army is leading, but other branches are doing. And it is today they're actively working on having microbes cloak materials to, you know, it's it's like taking ammunition. One of the scientists said um, taking ammunition or camouflage, which is trying to look like nature, but actually using nature to blend into nature. So I look at it like a, a Harry Potter cloak is kind of around the corner. And these are the kinds of world-changing discoveries that only the best and brightest can make. But the issue that we face as a nation is because of our constitutional rights, because we give our IP back to citizens, um, the balance of money and and flash and pizzazz has shifted to silicon valley which is considered the innovator when it's almost sort of like a you know a greek or roman myth the innovators are toiling away in our government labs doing 
really exciting work in synthetic biology, and we already know that China has openly said that the that England won the industrial age, the United States won the information age, and China intends to dominate the synthetic biology age. So there's a threat, but there's also an active group and a community of interest and different, you know, really brilliant scientists working not only to counter that threat, but to also, you know, think about the commercial applications just as commercial applications of the different DOD-related um, inventions, you know, I mean, there's, it's just undergirded our economy and also our global standing. So, so having sure. having the ability to 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 translate that because scientists tend to talk more in terms of science. Lawyers like to talk legalese. Accountants like to talk about paragraph ten sub. You know, and so it's trying to take the conversation to why should I care? Why should I, either a soldier or if I'm in Congress, how does it affect my constituents? I mean, I'm not a lobbyist, but obviously, you know, there's advocacy for for what um, is a known fact, which is that the return on investment of basic research um, is is really high. So that's a retention issue. You know, I think that we we really um, could address is, is getting more people to consider, um, you know, and not be concerned about going into a government um, laboratory or a, or a federal agency because there's a, a pretty strong need for skilled people in, in our, in, to do public service. And I think there's, there is risk aversion, but there's also a very large appetite for, for you know, among the public sector agencies to bring in um experienced people, skilled people. Right. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure that uh, we uh, make sure people can find out uh, where they can learn more about you or how they can reach out to you or your company if they're interested. What's the best way for, for people to find out more? Um, well, you can always send an, you can send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at P-M-I-C-U-S dot com. Or you can look me up. I have a large LinkedIn following. Um, just look up Kathleen Delano. And if you uh, send a, an invitation to connect, I have a very large cohort. And I believe in sharing, uh, um, you know, for our mutual benefit. That's one of the benefits of LinkedIn. So that's always a good way sure. to reach me. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your insights today. It's really fascinating. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to find out if you're still doing the punk rock thing, but uh, really appreciate you being uh, on well, the show. Punk and... rock is, is, is gone. No, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> going to see Fish with my kid who ironically followed in my sister's footsteps and became a deadhead and a fish fan. So well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with my second guest, Chris Chauncey. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. 
By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. Uh, in case you missed my last guest, uh, Kathleen uh, Delon, you can catch uh, the podcast uh, and all of our other past shows by going to iTunes. You can find us uh, by typing in Town Talk, all one word, or listen to us on iHeartRadio or Stitcher or wherever you find them. TownTalkRadio.com is also a great place. You can uh, subscribe there to be alerted to all of our future shows. But uh, my next guest will be uh, Chris Chauncey, the founder and CEO of Amplio Recruiting. Um, and don't forget to uh, join the conversation at PeopleG2 on Twitter. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. We got all kind of best quotes and conversation going on there already. So love to have you join it. But uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and of course, uh, explain to everyone what you're doing over there, what your focus is with uh, Amplio. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to be on the show. Um, we uh, we love working with, with People G2, so it's exciting to be on this side of things. Um, yeah, so we, we launched a staffing company uh, almost uh, six years ago now and had no experience in staffing, uh, but had moved into a refugee resettlement community right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, called Clarkston, and uh, had started a few businesses, uh, mostly had failed in that pursuit, but um, but wanted to continue to to uh, you know try at, at entrepreneurship and and um, and so as we looked around the community we had moved into, met a lot of people who really wanted an opportunity to, to hold down a steady job and be dependable, but for whatever reason had been overlooked when it just when it came to contributing to the workforce and uh, and so individuals who are legal to work and uh, and just wanted an opportunity and at the same time knew a lot of companies around the Atlanta area that needed dependable employees and and so uh, we started matching the two together thinking this is going to be easy and uh, and of course we had plenty of challenges along the way but it's been a fun journey and and uh, so working in a few other cities now and and uh, over the last few years put over 5,000 refugees into full-time employment and uh, it's an adventure every day. Wow. Well, with really that kind of focus, and I, this is certainly the first time we've ever had anyone on that's had this focus. We've had recruiting companies and staffing companies, and you know, you run the gamut. But for someone to be focusing on placing refugees at work, which is a really, really great cause and a really unique uh, focus, uh, how have you been able to place them uh, at such a successful rate uh, so far? Well, I mean, it's a good question, but honestly, you know, the the, the business of staffing is, is pretty tried and true. Uh, but I think for us, it's just a matter of recognizing there's a community of people that uh, live in the U.S. who are legal to be here. And uh, and, and many times, uh, you know, six years ago, we we were in a place where we had to, we had to explain what a refugee is. Right. Um, we had to talk about, you know, what, what are, what are, where are they coming from? Whereas now there's a lot more education around who refugees are and, and obviously a lot of, of political rhetoric around the discussion. So we now can dive into conversations about um, where these individuals are coming from and how they can contribute to local companies. 
And uh, in reality, is they're not a charity case, sometimes that's kind of what gets communicated from the media. Um, they're not people who want to sit around and just receive handouts. They, they had a job and, and had some dignity in their work before they were displaced from their home for, for civil unrest or violence or whatever it may be. And, uh, and they're not a terrorist threat. You know, that's often, that can be portrayed as well, that they're some sort of a group of people we need to watch closely. You know, reality is there's never been any terrorist activity from a refugee who's entered into this country legally. And so, hey, uh, there's a community of people who actually are not a charity case or a terrorist threat. They're a workforce. They want to contribute. They want to pay taxes and, and live out their American dream, just like plenty of other immigrants who've come before them over the past several decades. So uh, we get to tap into that community, and, uh, and it's, been, it's been a blast uh, getting to know these individuals and helping local companies move forward, finally hit the, the quotas and the numbers that they've been uh, reaching for for a long time. Are there certain types of companies that benefit from this, you know, type of a hiring of a refugee? I mean, are, are, are there companies that are maybe getting higher skilled labor than they would have normally for, you know, the same sort of price? Or, you know, what, what sort of those benefits for those companies? Sure, yeah. So we, we focus on a few different industries, but it runs the gamut. You have individuals who are resettling in the U.S. who, who have years of skilled experience in, you know, various fields. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, aeronautics all the way to, you know, very specific uh, tech fields. But um, most often we're working with uh, manufacturing companies and, you know, warehouses, logistics, um, you know, anything kind of in that space. That represents the bulk of our labor force, um, you know, at this moment, right around 300 people on payroll, temp to perm. So most often working with manufacturing companies. Uh, but we also do a, a fair amount of hospitality, you know, placement with restaurants and, and housekeeping and then some construction roles as well, from maintenance technicians at apartment complexes to uh, welders and pipe fitters. Um, but, you know, essentially you've got a group of people who want to work hard and, um, and at the same time want to have a job where they can kind of enjoy their life, pay the bills, but, but also, um, you know, they want to learn. They want to grow. They want to they add value to the company and continue to push up and, and you know, have, have their own sense of pride and dignity in the work. And I imagine, I mean, we're certainly going through a really large labor shortage right now, given where the economy's at. Um, has that been, uh, you know, sort of an artificial helper to you in this in this regard? That, you know, everyone's sort of desperate for talent, and you and you have kind of a new, uh, untapped uh, market, uh, or or do you see that differently? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this has been a tremendous time for us. We've got companies, you know, calling us on a daily basis saying, "Hey, we're." We've got these great contracts, but we're handcuffed. Um, I mean, literally, that was the language uh, that I got in an email just a couple of days ago from a company saying, we don't, we just don't have enough people showing up willing to do the work. And, um, and so we get to step into that, and most often uh, we're able to place people who um, not only uh, improve the retention rate at a company, but also improve the production. And you just see, you know, those two things increase retention and productivity, that's hitting the bottom line. You're more profitable. Um, you've got individuals who, who want to be there and have a growth mindset, want to contribute to the company. And then the cool thing happens is, you know, you start to see that impact. Then the company starts to give back, and they start to do specific things to engage that refugee community even more, and it creates this symbiotic relationship. It's, it's really beautiful to see that um, it's a win-win. Right, right. Well, one of the statistics I saw that really surprised me and I wanted to make sure we talked about here on the show today was that you know, 80% of these people, the refugees that you are, are placing, are, are still working after six months. 
And, and that may, to some people, not be a statistic they could understand, but that's double the rate that the average staffing company has, which, you know, usually it's about 40% are working after six months. So you're, you're sort of, you know, you're, you're killing it there. Uh, these people are sticking around and they're working out. Um, both they're doing a good job and obviously the, the employers are, are enjoying their work. Uh, can you talk about maybe why this is? I mean, is there is one or, or, or maybe a few reasons why these placements seem to be working so well for such a long period of time? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so we, we get to see double the industry standard and retention. And, uh, and, you know, I'd love to say we have an incredible team and I'd love to point at our team or point at, um, you know, any kind of specific secret sauce we have, you know, at the end of the day, it's the individuals who are walking in our door who are highly motivated to, to get and, and, and keep a job. And, and unfortunately we are in a point in the U S where we're seeing the highest numbers of prime age men leaving the workforce. Individuals, men who are 25 to 45 that are leaving the workforce in droves, it's the highest it's ever been. We're seeing the highest rate of, of drug test failures at companies that we've, that we've had since we started, uh, you know, testing uh, those things uh, in, the, in the onboarding process. And at the same time, we all know that we've got the baby boomer generation who are retiring at a rate in which the, uh, the younger generations are not filling their spot. Um, and so some numbers we've seen could be as, as high as in these skilled trade positions for every five that retire, only one are filling a position. So you, know, you put those three things together uh, as well as a, a host of other contributing factors. And, uh, and it's just, you don't see the dependable workforce um, as it, as it used to be, um, you know, back when we think about the greatest generation um, and, and the industrial age. And so, uh, you know, companies got to look to to some place they can look at, you know, illegal immigrants and continue to try to make that work for them if that's something they've done in the past. But that's going to continue to be challenging to do so. Um, and so we've got a group of highly motivated people who are legally here. And, you know, whether you believe they should continue to be resettled or not, uh, whether you believe they should be here or not, the reality is there's two million of them that have been resettled in the U.S. They're legal to be here. They've been vetted by Homeland Security, and, and uh, they want to contribute. So why not give them an opportunity to do that, provide for their family, and continue to boost our economy? Right, right. Well, it certainly seems like uh, you, you, you you focused in on a particular niche. Uh, you're really driving that home, and, and the society and communities at larger are certainly feeling the impact of that. And businesses, are, it sounds like you're able to help unhandcuff them in some of those situations. If you were to maybe talk to a company about how to hire great people, I mean, it sounds like you need to have a great team as well to be able to execute on this. What are some of the things that you think they need to be doing or looking for or thinking about uh, to ensure that that's happening? Yeah, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, a lot of times we're talking to companies and they'll say, you know, we never dreamed that that our challenge was going to be hiring. We thought that, you know, it was going to be securing this patent or we thought it was going to be landing this big client or you know, some other kind of challenge, but all those things have happened, but they still have this flat tire. They're not able to, to reach, you know, really get traction because they can't find people who are willing to show up and, and be dependable. And so, um, you know, we, we talk with companies and just kind of say, all right, let's start from the very beginning. The onboarding process that individuals are going, going through might need to be changed a little bit. You may even go back a little further and say, all right, what are your qualifications or prerequisites for a certain position? You know, you might have to change some of those to be open to the workforce that's available to you. Uh, one quick story, 
Uh, we work with a, uh, a, a microchip uh, production facility here in Atlanta, and they've done a lot of work for Tesla in the past and some other uh, big companies. And so they needed a quality assurance individual to join their team. And, uh, and so we sent over someone that had a really incredible resume. Her name was Roby. Uh, she's a refugee from, uh, from East Africa. And, um, and she's very soft-spoken, um, but she's very sharp, very intelligent, and had a great resume, professional skills, but not specifically in QA. And, uh, and, the, and the resume they were looking for didn't match uh, for this position. And so they said, hey, thanks for sending her over. We've got a great relationship with them. So they could be honest with us and say, hey, I don't think it's going to work out. She just doesn't seem to be a, the, the best fit for the role. But we trust you guys. We're going to give her one day of training and just kind of see how it goes. 24 hours later, they're calling us back saying, she's blowing us away. We're going to put her on her own shift tomorrow because she's picked it up so quickly. So, I mean, often that's what we kind of see. They had to go back and change uh, their qualifications for that job uh, based on the workforce that was available and willing to prove themselves. So those are two things. Think about onboarding. If it's, if it's whatever it is, if it's a week long, you probably need to double it. If it's two days, it might be four days. But that an extra little investment is going to pay dividends in the long run. Yeah, yeah. And then that, it's really great that they were able to trust you guys and, and, and to do that test to see. I mean, in a perfect world, that's what we would do. We would bring in some people and test them out and see how they do and find the one who can do the job. Uh, and often we're just too busy and we're too, you know, got to run with our heads cut off. And instead we look for a resume and we look for uh, experience or what have you instead of potential. And we put somebody in there that may or may not, you know, be the best fit. Um, so that's a really great uh Great lesson. Are there any other lessons that you've been able to learn from from working with such a diverse group of people? I mean, you have people from all over the world and different languages and different skill sets. So have there been some surprises or lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, our, our team, I mentioned earlier, we have such a, a diverse but really incredibly talented team. And, uh, and they, um, you know, we just have such a strong culture. We have fun together doing the work that we get to do. Um, but, you know, I think there's just simple things that in the U.S. it's easy to think that discussion around, you know, faith and culture um, can be taboo. But in many cases, when you're working and, and connecting and building relationships with individuals from around the world, if you don't discuss those things, um, you know, that could be damaging to that relationship. I and mean, that's just part of who we are. And I think we need to be more comfortable, even in the work environment, connecting with people on things that matter and just being able to have a real conversation about things. And I think when someone feels like you really care and you're engaging with them and they're not just um, a cog in the machine, but they're really a person, then there's going to be relationship there. There's going to be some give and take there. Um, and so as simple as that is, I think I just enjoy the fact that our team um, in some cases can be really impolitically correct, but it's just part of building relationships with each other and just being authentic and being ourselves. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, that may come across as a super millennial statement there, but I, I think there's something to be said for the workplaces and the clients that we work with that have an environment where people can come as they are and let's all go to work together and be on the same team and, and take everyone's strengths and make something better out of it. Right. Well, how, how do we maybe take some of the lessons that you've learned and, and some of the things that your company's been doing and you're helping your customers doing in thinking about diversity, um, this is a, uh, an area where a lot of companies are still uh, struggling to, to meet their goals or try to find the right approach. 
to help their companies be more diverse, um, diverse, and, and what, however you want to to qualify that. But um, we like to think about it diversity of thought. Um, but but how, what, what would you tell them what, from what you've learned? I think we have to start with recognizing that it's foolish to pursue diversity for diversity's sake. If you're if you're in pursuit of creating an environment where everyone can can bring their strengths to the table every day and contribute, then diversity will happen as a byproduct of that. But if we're so focused on diversity, then we're going to be very focused on the color of one's skin or, you know, someone's accent or, you know, the, the, the color, the, 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 you know, the clothes that they wear. You know, I think we, we can look at television and recognize that diversity is only skin deep in commercials. But when we're talking about a workplace, uh, we've got to create an environment where everyone feels they can they can bring their own uh, their knowledge, their background, their best to the table. They're not intimidated to be who they are. Um, and when we think through that on every level, you know, think about it in terms of uh, you know events that you're planning for your team. You know, especially when we think about the holidays in the U.S. and Christmas time. Not every everyone celebrates those things, but but what do they celebrate, and how can we support them in that? Uh, you know, think through it across the board and show that you're trying to really engage them and diversity will happen. It is, um, it is, it is certainly a byproduct that we see and it causes so many other levels of flourishing in a company when, um, when you really pursue that well. Well, I really believe that, uh, you know, companies that thrive are those that have a really strong company culture. Um, can sometimes get away with that if you have the absolute coolest, best product or service that's brand new. But over the long haul, I think it's culture, strong culture that gets companies to, to be great over the long haul. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, what you've been able to do to create a strong culture in your organization. I don't know that it's anything that I've done. I think our team um, is just really committed to uh, just just having an environment where we can support each other and, and have as much impact on the stability of both the companies and, and uh, individuals that we're serving. One of the words that we talk a lot about, and I think it does shape our culture, is the word buoyancy. And, uh, and for us, it's really just thinking through the fact that on one side of the work we do, it's very, very humanitarian. And, you know, we have individuals walking in our office every day that have a lot of needs. And we could spend 24-7 just trying to help people in the community and it never ends. And on the other side, we're in the staffing industry where, you know, companies have needs 24-7 and they're calling us with, with concerns and issues and, and uh, you know, needs for, for filling new spots. And so it could completely burn us out. And, uh, and there's things that go wrong and don't go according to plan or don't meet our expectations. So buoyancy is just this sense of, hey, um, even when it doesn't go right and we get knocked over by the waves, just like a buoy on the ocean, we're going to rise back to the center and and recognize that there's there's more uh, good opportunities coming down the pipe that we can be aware of. So we talk a lot about buoyancy. I think that shapes our culture. Um, at the end of the day, for us, we just think about building a culture wall. We want to get the right people in, keep the wrong people out. If it's not a match for you know for our company, then um, then there's another company that might be a great fit. But you know we want to create an environment where everyone that's inside feels like they're really invested in, and that we can continue to grow and have a great impact. Well, I, I really like that concept, and it's a great one, and it's something you, you're, you're 
you and your and your staff and your team and then everyone that you service can kind of rally around that idea of buoyancy. So I, I think you've done more than you, you want to let on, but uh, that's usually a good mark of a good leader. So um, I'm wondering if there's a book uh, that you're reading right now that you might share with us or maybe one that you typically suggest people check out. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, so I just cracked the cover on uh, The Power of Moments. It is by Chip and Dan Heath. And so I can't tell you a ton about it, but I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, it, it is um, their newest book on, I, I love their work, but it's the newest book on, um, you know, how moments, how small moments can really shape us and change who we are. And especially when we think about leading teams and really engaging people and, and helping get the best out of uh, the people uh, that are around you and really creating incredible moments that just propel things forward. So I'm excited to dive into the stories that they're sharing here and, and apply that to our team. And um, so, so far seems like uh, something that'll be a good book for everyone to pick up. Well, fantastic. Uh, Chris, you've, you, thank you so much for being on the show today. You've uh, mentioned a lot of great things. Uh, if there's any, if there's one thing, if, if, if people only paid attention to you for, for 10 seconds, you know, uh, of your whole interview today, is there one thing that you hope they might remember or take away with them? Hey, we're just trying to 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 blow the trumpet on the fact that that there are refugees in our country who are legal to work, and who can who can continue to impact our economy in a positive way if we give them the opportunity. So, seeing them as the refugee workforce is uh, is a really powerful way to allow them to move forward and impact our economy at the same time. So we, uh, we're releasing a book called The Refugee Workforce in the fall, and it'll be full of stories of companies and individuals that um, we've had the pleasure of being a part of, as well as a lot of stats and research on what's happening in our economy uh, because of the influence of, of refugees and immigrants. So we're excited to release that and hope that's something that uh, folks out there can get their hands on and, and really have an impact in, in our society. Well, I look forward to it. That sounds like a fantastic book. and sure we'll do uh do you and your company well how can people get a hold of you if they're fine and want to find out more um uh, maybe I, I don't know if you kind of service everywhere if it's more geographically specific specific but um how can people find out more about amplio recruiting yeah so you can visit our website it's amplioRecruiting.com. a-m-p-l-i-o right now atlanta raleigh dallas houston detroit and uh, continuing to grow into some other metro areas over the next few years. And, uh, and also love just hearing from companies that might be in, in other parts of the country that we're not serving and helping them in any way we can, point them to ways in which they can be hiring from the refugee community in their backyard. And, uh, and you can reach us, you can find us on Instagram as well and Twitter at Amplio underscore recruiting. Well, fantastic. Uh, thank you again for being on the show today. We really learned a lot and uh, really glad all the work that you guys are doing. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. Great. Thanks for having us. Very much appreciate it. And uh, continue. Uh, we'll, we'll look forward to continue to uh, staying engaged with you guys. All right. Thank you so much. And next week, my guest will be uh, Jeff Bain, founder and CEO of Team Traction, and then Alyssa uh, Moslem, the CEO at Pinnacle Global Network. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 